Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Welcome. Welcome to Vite Into It, uh, where we talk technology, the internet, uh, unfortunately the war tonight. Uh, we are going to be talking a bit about that, but um, lots of interesting stuff um, once we get through that. Um, it's good to have your company uh, on the show tonight. Uh, we have uh, behind the panel, uh, Joe Eaton. How are you? Going all right. How are you tonight, Warren? Pretty well, pretty well. Uh, glad to be here uh, in the, the warm embrace of uh, East Brunswick. Um, have you had a good week in tech? Has it been helping you out? Do you feel... Better yeah. for its presence. I haven't had too many issues this week. Yeah, no, yeah. no software updates or, or anything like that. I've got a lot of those to get through at the moment, but I'm just pushing them back. I did work out how to make my computer not go ding earlier, which is pleasant. Oh, that is yeah. good. Too many dings. Basic but pleasant. Uh, we also have uh, Lily Ryan uh, over the the airwaves as well. Uh, Lily, how's how's your week in technology been? Ah, we are having trouble. Hearing Lily. We'll, we will grab her um, in the near future. Um, I'm also with you, uh, Warren Davies. Um, speaking of technology, I was uh, just managing the kettle in the Triple R kitchen and it did give me pause to think, uh, why am I doing this and am I just a, a slave to the machines? But, you know, where is my promised utopia of, of creative freedom and boundless leisure? So um, in a few minutes, we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Claudia Sandberg, uh, of University of Melbourne about uh, just this topic and recent panels and media on, on the rise of uh, AI and, and its role in our lives. Um, so, yeah, if you are a, a Ridley Scott fan, definitely stick around for that and uh, and listen in. Uh, another um, a group that do have a good read on um, our kind of place with technology at the moment is Digital Rights Watch. Um, they've recently published their 2021 retrospective um, and Lily uh, is going to talk us through that uh, a little bit later in the show. But before then, uh, we do have uh, a bit of news and stuff going on. Um, as I mentioned, uh, there is a war on. Um, so it's interesting to see how uh, technology is playing a role in that and uh, and what it means for the unfolding of events there. Um one of the interesting stories to come out of uh, the war from a, a tech point of view are the, the large platforms, so uh, Google, Meta, Twitter, Telegram and others. Um, they're kind of caught between the two, uh, between Ukraine and, and um, uh, the rest of the world and also Russia. Um, and from some points of view, it's a chance to redeem themselves and uh, I guess um, not police but have more influence over um, the shape of information that comes out uh, of the war. Um I did see a thing the other day that doom scrolling uh, has been on the rise um, as a result of the war, and I, I would certainly put myself um, uh, in that camp as uh, someone who's been paying a lot more attention to social media, uh, Twitter in particular. But um, yeah, it's been interesting. I think um, uh, they do they do say that um, truth is the first casualty of war, and there's been a lot of weird information going around from. Uh, different sides about um, where the troops are at, casualties, um, uh, even just the kind of uh, morale and um, uh, n- general news being reported from the um, from the from the front. Um, 
and uh, yeah, the platforms are being asked to, to uh, I guess, take a more active role in policing misinformation and disinformation um, uh, that's coming from there. Um, an interesting thing that came out of this is that uh, um, Australia has actually made a request um, that something more certain does happen here. Um, so this was interesting. Um, one of the things that's uh, been going on in Australia is we have been having a uh, a more firm hand in um, the content and uh, what goes out, um, thanks to the, uh, I guess, overlapping interests with um, news media organisations in Australia, which we'll talk about um, a little bit later. But, um, yeah, uh, Australia has challenged big tech to remove uh, not just misinformation, but um, uh, Russian state media as well. Um, so, Joe, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to kind of um, pick up on this or... Um, my brain is trying to get Lily on air right now. I'm just going to yeah. try and give her a call. Yeah, do that. That, that could be a fun thing. But um, Communications Minister Paul Fletcher, um, who's uh, um, got an interesting background, um, uh, did actually um, start in comedy, but um, something that I guess requires a good sense of humour is taking on the um, tech giants in this space. And um, they've actually made a request to take down the um, the two main uh, news uh, networks um, in Russia, um, Sputnik and uh, RT, um, which is a Russian state-controlled uh, international television network. So both of those um, are putting out uh, misinformation, propaganda and, and so forth. And, um, yeah, uh, I think uh, three four days ago now, a request was put in to, um, uh, to do something about that. So, Lily, thanks for joining us. I'm not sure. Um, we're just talking about, um, uh, obviously, the, the war that's going on and some um, interest uh, from Australia in, in big tech, the platforms, um, both to, uh, I guess, police the, the disinformation and misinformation out there, but also uh, to control uh, two of the, the big state-owned Russian uh, uh, state media networks. I feel like this is definitely in your wheelhouse. Um, should we be should should we be doing those two things? Should we be policing the the content, but also, um, I, I guess, a bit of a sledgehammer uh, from Australia, just um, actually removing um, those those uh, two state media networks um, from our from our internet in Australia? Can you hear me now? We can hear you. Oh my god! Amazing technology, everybody. This is pretty great. Um, Sorry, worrying that um, scramble to get connected there. I lost your question a little bit. Is this about state media? Yes. Yeah. Well, two things. Yeah. Should uh, should uh, the big tech platforms be um, a little bit more sensitive to the um, validity of the content that's coming out? Um, so uh, misinformation, propaganda, etc. But also, should we just actually be taking down state networks? Um, sort of not really trusting the the content coming out right now. Uh, we're having issues again. I think we've worked out how to get Lily on Skype now, so we, we'll hang up the phone and we will move over to the next story. We will do that. Um, yeah, so uh, what we might actually do um, while Lily jumps in, Joe, did you want to talk about the um, Linda McIver case? Yeah, um, great uh, bit of news through from our co-host Laura, Linda McIver, who we've had on the show previously to discuss her recently published book, Raising Heretics, has now released a podcast. So you can listen to the whole book, but released in podcast episodes. So uh, just to give you a bit of a summary, it's what would an evidence-based world look like? How can we get there? 
and what's wrong with the way we teach science in all of the STEM subjects? And how can we teach our kids to be ethical, creative, rational problem solvers? So if you're interested in any of these topics, you can listen to the podcast, um, Raising Heretics, the podcast. Um, it, it's at adsei.org, and we'll tweet that link out later. Nice. Excellent. Yay, we have Lily. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Lily, you were you were going to mention, uh, since we were talking about the war earlier in the show, um, uh, game developers are, are doing something about this in the Ukraine as well. Yeah, they are. Um, I can hear myself back in my own ears, though. Um, I'll just talk about this for just a second. But yes, they have put together a game bundle on itch.io, which I have been checking out, and it's been pretty interesting. Um, it, it's by uh, Necrosoft, I think. So if you go to itch.io and you look up the Necrosoft Games Bundle for Ukraine, um, there is a bundle with 733 creators with lots of different games in there 992 different games that you can get for just 10 bucks which is pretty amazing um and all of the proceeds go to to uh supporting the war while supporting the <laughs> effort um for people fighting the war um in ukraine so part of it is going to the international medical corps and part of it is going to voices of children to provide support in those ways which is pretty great there are some really amazing games in there we have um some that I really enjoyed in the past, like Super Hot. There are some that, and, and Celeste as well. Some that I've wanted to play, like Inmost. There are some uh, tabletop games as well, role playing games. Oh, Cloud Gardens is in there. That's a really good one too. I like that one. Anyway, you should go over to itch.io and check it out because they are heading towards a four million dollar goal, and they are already over halfway there. So you should do that before it ends in about eight days. Nice. Um, if you're looking for something uh, a little bit uh, more obscure, um, some interesting uh, pig news. Um, I don't need an excuse to talk about pigs, but uh, when technology crosses over, uh, I'm happy uh, especially. Um, you probably all be aware that um, pigs are super intelligent and uh, have a, a highly sophisticated variety of vo vocal expression. Um, obviously, uh, a bit of technology is needed to, to help us kind of understand that more intimately, uh, or for most people anyway. But an international team of researchers have developed an algorithm that can translate the emotional state of pigs uh, from the sound of their grunts, uh, which is interesting. Um, so the researchers are suggesting um, the system could be used to monitor the well-being of pigs on uh, farms uh, or in various places uh, in, in real time. Um, yeah, I can see the immediate kind of like, um, you know, uh, livestock um, and sort of like welfare applications. Obviously, there's got to be a fun way for just the lay people like ourselves to get involved here. And uh, all those questions I mean, that you wanted to ask pigs, um, now you can. Did any? Did what either of you ever listen to the what podcast Lime Town? No. Yes. Yeah, that was the first thought that crossed my mind. There is an incredibly affecting episode of that where um, one of the characters uh, gains a psychic connection with a pig and it changes his life. Wow. Yeah. Lime Town's a really good one. Yeah. You should, you should go check that out. It's a couple of years old now. It's, a, it's, fiction, it's fictional. Did they turn it into a series? Like they a did. TV series? I didn't enjoy the TV series. So they uh, used uh, 7,400 uh, 7, different pig sounds gathered from uh, 400 animals, uh, I guess for the, the scientists out there and, and for the data people, you know, is this sound. Um, each, pig was, uh, each pig sound was accompanied by close behavioural observations and, where possible, heart rate monitoring um, and a, a variety other of, uh, of feedback points. Um, so, yeah, um, that's kind of the, the gist of it, but um, we'll 
keep an ear out for it. If we can get some pics on to talk about it uh, in more detail, um, we'll, uh, we'll do Excellent. that. Excellent. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Early in the 21st century, the Tyrrell Corporation advanced robotic evolution into the nexus phase of being virtually identical to a human known as a replicant. After a bloody mutiny by a Nexus 6 combat team in an off-world colony, replicants were declared illegal on Earth under penalty of death. This was not called execution, it was called retirement. Uh, for the film buffs out there, they will uh, note that uh, as the opening text from Blade Runner, uh, Ridley Scott's, uh, can I say it? Again, eponymous 1982 film. Um, and 2019 was the year the film was set. Um, so I guess it's a good time to, to kind of... Uh, ask ourselves, um, is this the kind of future that we're living in where uh, AI and, and replicants walk among us? And, um, yeah, there's a whole bundle of things that we can um, have a conversation around there. Um, to have a better conversation, we are joined by Dr. Claudia Sandberg of Melbourne University, who's uh, been doing a bit of work in this space. There's been panels, uh, there's been uh, a bit of media uh, out and about. Uh, Claudia, is it is it true? Are, are we living Ridley Scott's um, envisioned future today? I know. I think that's uh, that's for everyone to decide. You know what what is in utopia for one person, uh, it's in a dystopia for another. And I think uh, also, you know, you see, you see that in Blade Runner uh, a little bit. That uh, uh, you know, there, there is, you know, it's in in a way, it's 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 a sort of uh, very democratic society where you have um, all kinds of subcultures living right next to each other, all kinds of creatures. Um, and 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 what maybe this was maybe a dystopia. Utopia in 1982, and in a way, we do see that um, these days. Um, and uh, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I did research this um, a, a little bit, um, and I think that film has always um, tried to do that. You know, to give us a little bit of an answer or, or a perspective on. Um, yeah, on the um, the the impact of um, of technological progress uh, on on society. Well, it's it's the you know that's the very definition of science fiction. Some of the uh, some of the writing that that you've been involved in on this topic suggests that um, AI is is manifesting in different ways. You know, uh, Ridley and the team behind the film suggested, you know, it was going to be synthetic humans kind of walking around um, and. You know, there's all the sadness and longing and kind of, you know, all the feels um, that sort of come out of that. But AI is kind of manifesting in different ways. It's kind of hard to see, hard to touch, sort of deeply embedded in data. So is it um, is that too simplistic? Is, is it sort of popping up in a lot of ways or is it kind of, you know, the kind of like faceless, unseeing kind of AI? You know, that, that's a very good question, and I think it is always manifesting in different forms. And if we go through uh, film history, kind of starting from, let's say, kind of the, the first um, important film or in the film that we still know is Metropolis um, in uh, Weimar Cinema, made in 1927, um, where you have this uh, this machine woman, and she is she's evil, and she's very much a person and kind of impersonated. Um, and then, kind of, we we come to more more recent films. 
dreams like like space odyssey where you do have that omnipotent power but it's just a voice you know doesn't have a body really and then um it, it depends on you know kind of the age we live in you know we didn't have terminator blade runner where you've got these cyborgs that are half blood um half um half machine and then again you know this is um with them um, with the matrix you know, but there are questions like, do we know? You know, there's these philosophical questions. Do we know that this is what we live, uh, the reality? Or maybe we are all um, kind of uh, kind of attached to the machine. Uh, and, and so, no, I mean, it's, I, I think it's not simplistic. It does, it does kind of things, I think, kind of pop up again in different forms in different times so you know it's not um it's not the first time that we kind of see a matrix and it's not the first time that we have kind of these these faceless powers uh and uh and they i mean i think they come in you know with with different or filmmakers or you know we as society kind of come in with different questions to these um you know to these phenomena what do you think that the um the filmmakers in the 80s thought was prophetic about Blade Runner itself that they thought, you know, projecting into the future might actually look like in reality? That's a good question, and I've been I've been asking this myself, looking at uh, or watching this film again. Um, and, And again, you know, I'm so... Um, yeah, I was kind of so taken by that uh, futuristic city um, that looks like in Los Angeles uh, on the one hand, but it does also look like Hong Kong, and and so this kind of there is this 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 ambiguity, ambiguity between uh, between West and East. We you know kind of a lot of different cultural influences. Uh, there is a, there's a lot of um, you know this it's it's sort of an dirty, honest kind of um, city, and it's a clash of cultures uh, and communities, and I think this was um, maybe prophetic in the you know in the eighties, even though you know they um, it was already lived then. At the same time, maybe you know this was um, Blade Runner was this visualization of um, of this um, you know of this huge kind of community, and so this was something that was utopic and it was something that was kind of dystopic and I think in a way you know this is our present yeah, it, it kind of seems to be that um, whenever you see these kind of um, sort of sci-fi um, kind of like epic tales they just uh, extrapolate it's it's kind of like more of the same. Whatever's bad now, like crime, crime is in the laneways. So it will kind of like it will fill the laneways and spill out onto the main streets. And um, people don't imagine how uh, or it's hard to imagine. You know, even today is like we talk about it. If someone said you know jump ahead twenty years, it's hard to imagine how things change and mutate and manifest in in, in different ways. So yeah, it's, I mean cities. Uh, some of those super cities, you know, they are bigger, but they're not necessarily dirtier and they're not sort of, you know, um, you know, I mean, pollution, even pollution is not appearing in the same way that we thought it was going to be in terms of like, you know, lots of smog and kind of good air for only some people and so forth. It's um, certainly pollution is, is as bad as they, you know, imagine it will be in the future, but sort of just appearing in different ways as we're, we're seeing it in Australia. Um, what uh, I'm curious to know about um, 
your team's thoughts on on these actual you know replicants and 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 kind of um, you know cyborgs or, or whatever you want to kind of call them sort of walking around do you feel like you'd you'd rather have those i mean we see things like boston dynamics and um, and various other people sort of working on advanced robotics and it's really coming along it's not to the point where it had passed a, a cheering test or, or or what have you but um would you like to see more of that do you feel like you've missed the robots that you were promised <laughs> No, I don't. You know, I'm probably not the right person to ask this. Um, but but I would I would say I would say that you know you were just you know talking about mutation and um, you know this being evil and and I think something that is very interesting about Blade Runner and 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 that also probably and still answers the question of um of of before you know the the kind of prophe- prophecy uh, is that maybe you know they are not as evil as they are always presented. And of course they're not as intelligent. They are, they're, they're kind of programmed or made or designed in order to do one task. Uh, and, but they cannot, they cannot really, you know, um, kind of replicate um, or substitute for a son or a daughter or, or a kind of a sexual partner. I think and this, is, this is kind of, um, this is kind of also kind of our anxiety coming in, you know, about this, uh, you know, that will the machines take over, you know, this eternal question. Um, but I think later on it's interesting because it is, um, it's actually suggesting that we can live with the machines and we can live with that technology. It's just the question of who's controlling it. Um, and, uh, and, but but it, it's not... Uh, it's not the question whether the machine itself is evil or not, because uh, because and 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 that in a, in a way is is also what we live. We do live with all these kind of apps and um, you know suggestion when you when you buy something that it pops up and you know it's all very customized. Um, but um, but maybe you know it's not as bad and we don't have to feel as anxious as as some want us to to feel or make us believe. We've had a lot of practice, right? It wasn't just there weren't robots and then there were. They're kind of sneaking up on us through little apps and little bits of software. Right. <laughs> um, I wanted to know a bit about um, whether your team had thought much about the, the Blade Runner sequel that came out a couple of years ago as well and what that might say in the context of, I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the films that we've seen recently have just been sequels or remakes or reprises and things like that. And what you think that might say about our current anxieties and how the sequel might reflect those? Uh, can you kind of repeat that for so part of your question because I didn't get that. No worries. Quite the, so the Blade Runner sequel that uh, yes. came out a couple of years ago now, right. um, given that we are remaking a lot of films and reprising them and reviving them, you know, a lot of those franchises, um, do you think that there's anything in that Blade Runner sequel that kind of reflects the anxieties that we have as a society right now that are different to the 80s? Is that film a useful tool to kind mm. of get a, a marker for how our views might have changed through the same yeah. story. Right, right. I mean, you, that, that's a very interesting question, and I would, would probably like to answer that in, in terms of um, kind of, you know, as, as it is always happening, kind of riding on the success of the first one and then um, maybe remaking that in, a, you know, in, a, in an environment um, of, of today where we also have much more, 
again, kind of many more technological um, uh, possibilities and, and options uh, to, to make those um, futures um, even more, you know, appear even more realistic. You know, the, the kind of post-production uh, possibilities that you have, you know, the color scheme, the lighting, and, and any of those. Um, and, and in that sense, um, I couldn't really say, to be to be honest. Um, I um, I would, you know, I would um, rather recommend, uh, you know, anyone to to look at the at the first one, or maybe kind of invite um, our, you know, your listeners to see, you know, what is, um, you know, what is the difference, or you know, what is uh, what is more uh, more current in um, in, the, um, in, the, in the in the in the current um, in the 2017 version. I reckon there was a difference between the the two sort of male protagonists in that. Um, I, I've forgotten the actor's name, but I, I feel Harrison Ford was kind of like less interested um, and kind of a little bit suspicious and kind of you know jaded about kind of the the powers that be and Tyrrell and you know police force and and so forth. But um, the actor who played the um, I always forget his name Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. I felt yeah. I'm not sure whether it was just his kind of like very placid kind of face and demeanor, but he seemed a, a little bit more accepting of kind of how things were um and it was like a there was like a a a beauty and an empathy in the art direction in that film that the second film was like just luscious like the lighting and the art direction and the colors and like even in when they get out into the desert and the casino like it's just the sort of like warm sandy colors are almost kind of reassuring it didn't feel as as bleak like it was as destructive and desolate and so forth but it's like there was almost like a bit of a shrug yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I also kind of when I remember, you know, just um, that that film, I have all these kind of warm um, yellow, red kind of colors in mind. Whereas mm-hmm. when you look at Blade Runner of nineteen eighty two, you know, it's, it's all kind of very bleak and and blue, and and you 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 almost have that haptic feeling of of you know you can you can um, feel or you can you can um, uh, you know the kind of the smoke and the food you can just smell it. You know, it's it's very haptic. Um, and, and you know, it's not interesting what you just said. Um, uh, you know, that is more. We are more accepting now, and I think that kind of transpires as well um, in this um, in this new version, um, whereas um, whereas uh, Harrison Ford is more kind of the kind of old school detective, um, and um, and maybe something that should be mentioned here as well. You know, Blade one of 1982 is also this. Um, um, you know, one of um, or establishes that kind of cyberpunk movement where, you know, you've got the old and the new and the kind of the, um, the, the, the kind of the, the big corporation as well as the um, underworld acting at the same time. And it's a, it's a sort of a new way of, of, um, of you know, visually at looking at um, science fiction. Interesting. I, ha- I have one more question for, for, for all of you. Um, there was an interesting note in the Techno Dystopia article um, that you're involved in around um, robots or artificial intelligence always declaring that that's what they are when they interact with humans. How, how do you feel about that? Would you rather be kind of like in the uncanny valley just kind of pretending that you're hanging out with some friends or, or do you want to know that you're alone in the room? No, maybe someone else can answer here. I absolutely I find, want a declaration. Oh, you prefer the declaration? Absolutely. 
I find it more interesting when you've got humans pretending to be robots. You've got things yeah. like Amazon's Mechanical Turk, and they're going around pretending like robots and artificial intelligence are doing things, and, and it's just, you know, it's actually a bunch of underpaid people being exploited in the Philippines to bring you that illusion that it's a robot. That's far I worse. I find that way more interesting. Everyone's welcome to our Christmas party. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for um, taking time and having a chat with us on the show tonight um, and uh, yeah do let us know if you have any more panels or, or events coming up um, soon yeah no I'm not at the moment but we definitely kind of continue on that uh, on that course and um, because there's so many so many interesting questions you know that, that pop up all the time uh, and uh, and so and you know there's a real sense that people you know indeed do want and do need to talk about it especially kind of the younger generation that at a, on the one hand it's just so kind of easygoing with technology but at the same time um, you know there are all these kind of philosophical questions that are still unanswered and there there are still kind of and also interested in we will be there um name the place name the time um, we will we will let you know <laughs> thank you hi this is vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of triple r's bite into it a weekly radio show exploring tech news broadcast live on triple r from melbourne australia every wednesday hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the triple r website or bite into its facebook or twitter accounts Listeners of this show may be familiar with uh, Digital Rights Watch, uh, an organisation who's been working to support and uphold digital rights of people in Australia for uh, many years now. And last week, they did actually release their annual State of Digital Rights report uh, for 2021, a bit of a, a retrospective. Um, uh, a large review of, of many and varied uh, themes um, that, um, yeah, I guess influence our rights uh, as citizens uh, in Australia in the year just gone. And uh, Lily, uh, she's living her best life. She is both on the show and uh, involved in Digital Rights Watch, of course. So um, it is the best kind of conflict of interest to have. Um but Lily, yeah, I mean, where would you like to start? Is this the kind of first report you've been involved in or um, this is not your first rodeo? Um, this is the first time that I've contributed a piece to the State of Digital Rights Report, yeah. Um, so the piece that I wrote, co-wrote in there, it was about the census. You remember all of the... Uh, we had a census last year. Mm. I know we had a lot of stuff going on last year, but census was one of them. Mm. And that's uh, it's always a time. So... Uh, the census is, you know, it runs every five years and it is always interesting to look at how these things evolve. In 2015, the government changed the rules about the census and made it so that they were then able to keep information about the people who responded to it, like their names and addresses alongside the answers. And um, that was pretty new. And uh, that certainly made a bit of a splash at the time because privacy was something that was pretty important to making sure we got accurate census answers. Um, they didn't change that this time around, which was unfortunate. Um, but they also asked a couple of other questions this time around that were a bit different, one of which involved sort of sex slash gender question mark. They were a little ambiguous on that. And uh, that caused a few people some grief as well. So... Yeah, there were a lot of issues with the census this year, but that was only one of the facets of the um, the state of digital rights that we went through in the last year. Um, it was interesting that um, well, a couple of things that came out of this one was a recommendation from a place like Digital Rights Watch that, hey, maybe we should be doing this on paper because everyone can do it um, and, you know, there's a, there's other reasons for doing it on paper that are, that are good. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, was that an interesting conversation to have? I've just read that recommendation and kind of chuckled and went, there's a spicy one for them to have. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's, I mean, it's, it's really about accessibility. Um, the paper option was the best choice for a lot of people, you know, people who don't have access to the internet or don't have reliable access to the internet. Um, and also because it enables you to skip questions sometimes if the questions don't apply to you or if they do apply to you, where the online thing forces you into it. Um, the online, uh, the online, uh, I was going to say a quiz. It feels a little bit like a quiz. <laughs> Maybe Ooh. I could get BuzzFeed to do the census <laughs> who, next time. Who are I don't you? Know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Um, yeah, but the online one forces you to um, choose a gender, and then when you've chosen one, um, if you've chosen male, for example, um, it then restricts you from answering questions about things like childbirth, which is interesting because transgender men absolutely do have the capability to have children. So the paper form doesn't have the ability to restrict you in that way, and that was pretty interesting. Um, so that might be another reason people might choose one format over another. Mm. It was also interesting that um, I, I do remember the uh, the issue around um, the sex gender questions. Um, hearing you talk about it and, and just kind of reading this again today did make me think about how the culture and the kind of um, the weight of precedent for these things that happen just every few years. Like every few years these people come together and go, let's kick another one out the door. There needs to be almost like a way to input sort of um, evolutions in progressive ex or expectations from society, things that change in the kind of the news and the mm. conversations and the things that happen with every graduating class and, you know, conversations between human beings. It's very hard to get that into an organisation to say, hey, you need to reflect who we are every minute of every day when they're just kind of saying, you know, should, how many salutations should we have in this question every you know, and then just go back to the one from a few years ago. It's it's a hard hard one to answer, and I'm not trying to kind of empathise strongly when it's not really deserving, but I, I can kind of see how they fall down. Yeah, one of the interesting things about this one was that in the five years between the last census and the one that happened last year, um, there was a lot of campaigning, both from. Um, uh, the trans community and also from the queer community as a whole, um, first off to get them to answer or ask better questions about sex and gender that actually accurately reflected the population, mm. um, but also to ask questions about the queer community. One of the things that happened in the intervening years was in 2017, we uh, legalised same-sex marriage in this country, finally. Um, but there were no questions in the census that reflected anything to do with um, relationships besides, you know, whether or not you were married or divorced or whatever. Um, so on the one hand, um, you know, in, in some cases, it's it's probably better for the government not to have a list of queer people um, because the government can change at any point. Um, on the other, there are certainly needs that queer families may have that other families may not have as much of a need for. And if we don't collect that information, then we can't provide those sorts of services. I mean, that's the, the point of a census is to get that info about our population, right? Mm. So it was unfortunate that all of that campaigning from the queer community who wanted to be included in that wasn't factored in. Mm. Lily, do you think that um, that is one of the main reasons why um, removing identity from answers would be a, a better way to go? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's really um, kind of scary. I mean, we all answered the census if we were around at the time, and it asks lots of really invasive things mm. that may not be 
<laughs> anybody's business most of the rest of the time. Um, not just your sexuality, but you know, where do you live? How much do you earn? What kind of, you know, how are you married? Are you not married? How many kids have you got? Those questions could be really sensitive for people to, you know, and we can't really predict how or why, but lots of them could be sensitive for many different reasons. So connecting that with your name and address, um, is, is a massive issue for people yeah. who want to respond honestly. The other thing is also that um, because of a lot of the other legislation that's come into place in the intervening years, there were used to be protections around the data that the ABS held um, so that because it is pretty sensitive, um, they would publish it in aggregate and that kind of stuff. But um, since the telecommunications, you know, the assistance and access bill and stuff like that has come into play in between, that has meant that... The government um, is now able to sort of just issue a request to say, hey, we want to um, we want to examine this data and you need to let us or you'll go to jail for a really long time. And they can do that to anybody, including the ABS, which means there are no protections against that data staying with the ABS where it should be for the purposes it needs to be. And we can't ask about it. There were uh, a few other themes as well. Um, uh just picking them from the top, I'm not sure if this was uh, in order of significance, but the continued culture of surveillance um, was one of the um, themes. What, what, what do you recall about that or, or sort of pull out as, as things that were notable? Um, there was a lot of legislation that went down last year, of course. Yeah. Um, the act that I just mentioned um, was a little bit older than last year, but last year we had a couple of others that got introduced. Um, the Identify and Disrupt Bill was another one. Um, it's another salvo in the ongoing sort of quote-unquote war on encryption um, where governments would like the ability to remove encryption at their request from certain parts of the internet so that they can access the communications that go down, um, mostly for the purposes of national security. The problem with that being that encryption is kind of one of those things that makes the internet function at all most of the time. And, you know, banks use it and all kinds of places use it for all kinds of reasons. Um, so it's very difficult to say, yeah, we're just going to remove it for this one purpose, but that won't affect all the other purposes. It's going to have these cross-cutting effects. Um, that was a thing. Online safety was a really big focus. That's still kicking on now. Um where, you know, we're talking about the role of social media and the things that, um, the things, the, the role it plays in society and the way that we can um, protect each other from, uh, well, you know, it's called the anti-trolling bill, but honestly, the word trolling only appears in the title and it's mostly just about defamation. Um, and in terms of coming back to your original question about surveillance, there's a lot of um, surveillance-related um, infrastructure that got put in place as a result of the pandemic. You know, we all have to check in lots of different places now. Um, not that, I mean, those things have sort of been removed, but that data is still there. There's a, a really comprehensive database of, you know, places people have gone in lots of different states. And we've seen lots of different state police departments dipping into that data for reasons that are not related to public health. Um, and there's also a question about all of the public health measures that were put in place for good reasons at the time and how and when we wind those back as we resume, quote unquote, COVID normal. Google still publishes movement data. I was looking, I was trying to figure something out the other day and I was like, I wonder if Google knows. And sure enough, there's lots of refreshed weekly reports about where we are and what we're doing and which places that we're going to. Um, so, yeah, how, how do we wind some of this stuff back, I wonder? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. We we are pretty good at putting this stuff in place and not that good at uh, working out how to take it back down. 
certainly times of crisis are often used to put things in place that I think some people kind of use as a bit of a cover to get things in there. Not saying that that's why this COVID stuff was there is a pretty clear need for some of this pandemic related stuff to happen because we had an acute crisis at the time. Um, but one of the interesting things that's coming up now is um, this year, there's a full scale review of a lot of the, particularly the electronic surveillance legislation that's come in, in honestly, you know, the last 20 years since 9-11, that kind of stuff, um, to be more um, consistent and cohesive. We're getting a review of the Privacy Act for the first time, which is excellent. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on that's really, really interesting that we have the opportunity to have a bit of input into. And what kind of response has the report had? Um, what kind of feedback do you get? Um, do you, I don't know, do you get hide goons sort of trailing you down the street? How does it, how does it work these days? Um, so far, no. Not that I've noticed, although I suppose that would be a, a really strong suit, wouldn't it? Um, we, we launched it last week at a, a public event. That was pretty well attended. There were some interesting questions that got asked at that one with a panel discussion. Um and it's, I mean, it only came out late last week. Um, the response on Twitter has been mostly positive, which is a surprise given Twitter. But um, it's nice to read nice things on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, because it only came out last week, you know, it hasn't had that long uh, to to have an impact. But it is available online. You can You can read it on our website. It's free. There's no paywall or anything like that. It's just a series of essays, 42 pages. I find it pretty interesting if I am allowed to say that about something I had a bit of a hand in. Well, hopefully Scott Morrison, uh, in between picking up bits of rubbish and um, patting people on the back this <laughs> afternoon, has had a chance to dig into it. But um, if uh, if he hasn't, uh, where can he find it? Where can people get this online? Yeah, well, Scott, if you're listening, um, digitalrightswatch.org.au. And if you go to the latest on our site, that's pretty much the first thing that you'll find there. It's uh, the State of Digital Rights at 2021 retrospective, where we look back at everything that went down. Nice. I, I do recommend it. It is uh, a good read. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. We did want to point out some interesting stuff. Um, it was International Women's Day yesterday, uh, which is awesome. Um, there was some fun going on here, Lily, uh, on, on the tweets. Yeah, I have been following this all day. Uh, International Women's Day was yesterday, but it's still today for some parts of the world. And the gender pay gap bot at pay gap app has been tweeting uh, gender pay gap statistics when companies have been tweeting International Women's Day stuff. So they quote tweet with people's statistics. Apparently in the UK, this is a database that you can just query any particular organization's pay gap. So um, when a company talks about how well they're doing on International Women's Day, the, the bot will pick it up and say, in this organization, women's median hourly pay is however many percent higher or lower than men's. Um, makes for some pretty interesting reading. Um, there who, are some companies that owned, have deleted yeah. their tweets since. Lots of banks got quite owned. One of the fire departments had um, 2% higher pay uh, for women than men. That's great. I was surprised how much is higher, actually. It's been pretty good to read that. But there's certainly some that it definitely 
definitely makes its point, I think, at Pay Gap App. I'd probably would rather work at the fire station than at a bank, I think, at this point in my career. I think that'd be more fun. Go and do that. Um, one thing we did also want to point out, um, if you are interested, we have been talking about the future a bit. Um, Making Future Landscapes Now is coming up um, with RMIT. Um, so it's an... I guess an interesting conversation and uh, if, if you pick up the news um, or just talk to anyone over the fence right now, uh, we are concerned about the environment and the, the kind of future we will have in Australia um, and with our um, local neighbours. Um, so RMIT um, is kind of interested in the, the, uh, the way that um, uh, spaces, um, design, technology uh, come together. Um, so you can find out about that on Eventbrite. Um, it is, I think, um, not next Saturday, the one after, perhaps. So um, get along to that one if you're interested in um, future landscapes. Uh, I do want to say thank you to our guest uh, this evening, Dr. Claudia Sandberg of University of Melbourne. And uh, also thank you especially to Lily for having us um, uh, talk through the uh, Digital Rights Watch report. Um, we will definitely share a link to that. Elizabeth McCarthy, Matthew Hall, you're both very awesome. Um, Thanks to you guys, Joe and Lily, for um, the show tonight. Stick around. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.